This is Crosscut Reports. I'm Maliha Sayed. Today, we're speaking with two people from Seattle about how the war between Israel and Hamas is affecting their communities. On October 7th, Hamas, a militant group that controls the Gaza Strip, launched a surprise attack on Israel. Israel has since declared war, pummeling Gaza with airstrikes and blocking food, water, and electricity from entering the region. Around 1,400 Israelis and 3,000 Palestinians have been killed. Last week, a few days after news broke in the region, we spoke with Sabrine Oda, who's Palestinian-American, and Maxima Potashnik, a member of the local Jewish community, about what it's like watching the news unfold and the impact the war is having on their communities here. Well, I think for starters, could you just introduce yourself, anything that you're comfortable sharing, your first and last name, and just a little bit about you and your identity? Sure. Um, so my name is Max Potashnik, and I live in the in the South Seattle area. And I think it's, it's a bit unique these days. I'm a fourth generation um, Puget Sounder, if you will. I am Jewish by background, um, though not particularly um, observant. And um, in terms of my work, I worked for several years in the Washington State Legislature and then almost nine years ago now um, came over to work uh, at the Jewish Federation of Greater Seattle, where I work with the diversity of our organized Jewish community, um, supporting them, advocating for them, and many other aspects. And what was your reaction when you first heard about the attacks this past weekend? And what has it been like watching the world respond? You know, um, unfortunately, as we all know, there is a perpetual cycle of violence that exists in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. So I think at first it was, is this, um, is this kind of the norm? Um, and I think, you know, working at a Jewish organization, um, though I am not uh, Shomer Shabbat, you know, very observant of Shabbat, we do not work on the Jewish Sabbath from Friday at sundown to Saturday at sundown. So Saturday morning, I'd been up most of the night with uh, my almost one-year-old and got to my phone late and saw it was just had exploded with text messages and phone calls. And, and so I knew something was significantly out of the ordinary. And I think when the news report first came in, it was just like, it was just shocking um, and I think, though, it has just been waves of deeper and deeper and deeper shock. And it's only perhaps today that things are kind of starting to de-escalate a little bit, because I think as the news of the the massacre that happened on Saturday in southern Israel continues to come out and more details of that continue to come out and the graphic nature of what happened is just truly horrific and unprecedented. And... You know, it was only the the death count t- continued to rise as they found more bodies um, of the massacre that happened on Saturday. And, um, you know, with that, I think it was Monday at the when the death count was five or six hundred. I can't remember. And now it's over twelve hundred that more. That was the deadliest day for the Jewish people since the Holocaust. And that is I mean, that that is to give you just an idea of the magnitude Um and I think, you know, to your to the second question or the second part of the question, how are people reacting? I think that's really depends on what circle you sit in. Um, I've been in so many meetings uh, where generationally people's experiences are quite different. 
namely because of the circles they're in, but also their social media. And the social media of the people I know that is younger um, and folks who are more progressive either have seen a lot of silence from their network or they see um, hurtful things that can be misunderstood as a celebration of the, the murder of innocent Jewish citizens and not just Jewish, but beyond that. Um, and other folks see, you know, have, have a different reaction in terms of what they're seeing from their circles and their friends. I would say on the whole, you know, the reaction from the American government, the leadership of our congressional delegation, the leadership um, in the White House um, has been very strong. And I think the vigil that we did on Tuesday night was a way for people to feel supported uh, and held and seen uh, in terms of our experience. And I think you kind of touched on this, but how have you and your community been impacted over the last week? I think while this conflict is quite far away, the reality of this is that it is very close for the Jewish community. The Jewish people make up 0.2% of the world's population. There are estimated 15 to 16 million Jews in the world, and about 40 to 45% live here in the U.S., and about 40 to 45% live in Israel, and the rest are sprinkled around the globe. And so the deep connections that we have with family, with friends, with colleagues on the ground in Israel is deeply close and deeply personal. There is but one degree of separation. And I think, you know, when you saw at the vigil on Tuesday night, uh, Rabbi Wiener, before we sang uh, Hatikva, the, the national anthem um, of the nation of Israel, was if you are Israeli, if you have family in Israel, if you served in the IDF or you have family serving in the IDF, please stand. And I think it was about a third to a half of the room that stood up. So while this may seem far away, it is deeply personal and deeply traumatizing uh, for almost for almost all of the Jewish community here. What has your personal relationship been to this conflict over the years? And how did you first learn about it? And has your perspective changed over time? Has it largely remained the same? What has it kind of looked like? Goodness, that's a great question. You know, I came into this work with a background in government affairs, not a background in Jewish communal work. And the more I learn about the conflict, the more I learn about um, the layers of complexity, the more challenging and gray things become. And the um, the more challenging and gray things become. And and you have to look for bright spots where groups and individuals are working together, um, building relationships through shared humanity, through shared values, through shared experiences. Um, and I think that's something that a lot of people are missing when they are seeing what is happening today is the context of what is going on and an understanding of the background of everything that is playing out right now. My last question, when you think about this conflict and what's happened in the last week, is there anything that you think is important for the general public to understand uh, when it comes to what's happening between Palestine and Israel? Is there anything that you think gets misunderstood or maybe is not fully understood when we talk about this, this conflict? 
Yeah, I think there's so much. And then I think there's a resulting impact that I want to to touch on as well. So the first thing is, is that I think most people don't understand who the Jewish people are. Here in the United States, most people see a white religious minority that they believe comes from Europe. Whereas in reality, the Jewish community is a multi-ethnic, multi-racial people. And in, in most of the world, um, we, are not con- we are not considered white. And the reality of the Jewish experience has been that no matter what our skin color is, no matter how much wealth we may have had or how much um, privilege we may have had, that has never kept us safe. And since the Jews were expelled from the Second Temple in the land of Israel thousands of years ago, over that period of time, Jews have generally been at best second-class citizens and at worst victims of state-sponsored violence. And people think about the state of Israel being formed, you know, potentially after the Holocaust, and that was the reason the state of Israel was formed. And that is a significant impact on it. The reality is, is that the Holocaust was not an aberration. It was a continuation and the worst example of anti-Semitic state-sponsored violence we've ever seen in our people's history. But the reality is, is that most Jewish people do not believe that that was the end. And anti-Semitism perpetuates itself as a cycle. And I think the tenuousness that most Jews feel that their safety is, is not understood by the general public. And I think that's something that's really important that when you look at Jewish people here in the United States, even if they we say white passing because it's not like you know white nationalists or white supremacists think of Jews as white, but if you are white passing, that is something that is really an anomaly and an and a new experience in Jewish peoplehood, not the norm. So the reality that the state of Israel exists, and I don't mean borders, I'm not talking about particular the Green Line or 1948 or 1967, but the, the reality that there is a homeland for the Jewish people in our historic homeland and that Jews can be safe there is, is unimaginably comforting. And so the fact that Jews you know, are not safe there uh, right now is deeply troubling. And the last thing I want to say on, on this in terms of the conflict is that while it may seem far away, there is a direct impact to the Jewish community here and Jewish communities around the world when there is conflict. I just had a meeting this morning. I just got out of two meetings, one with Senator Cantwell and one with Mayor Harrell. And I heard experiences from almost 20 Jewish leaders between those meetings. There are deep anti-Semitic threats that emerge and, and threats to the Jewish community here when there is violence between Israel and Hamas or Hezbollah and whatever that looks like. For example, Jewish Family Service, which uh, serves not just the Jewish community, but far beyond, they are having to close their food bank tomorrow, which serves 95% non-Jewish community, because there is a global-wide call for jihad. And the hate crime that was perpetrated at the Jewish Federation of Greater Seattle, my workplace in 2006, where somebody came in and shot five employees and murdered a sixth, That happened because, and I quote, um, I am angry about what's happening between Hezbollah and Israel. And so I don't think that people understand that right now the Jewish community is deeply afraid of what the reverberations are going to be and what what the impact is going to be on us in terms of our physical safety here in the U.S. when there is conflict there.
Could you just introduce yourself? Tell me your name and just a little bit about you, your community, and anything else that you think is important to know. Yeah, so my name is Sabrine Oda. I'm from Seattle, born and raised. I am the daughter and granddaughter of Palestinian refugees. I am a Muslim woman living in the United States. And yeah, that my identity has definitely shaped, you know, who I am today and definitely brought me to this to this conversation. And what is your relationship to the topic that we're talking about today? When we're talking about Palestine and Israel, what's your personal relationship to this conflict? So I think that this will really resonate with anyone Palestinian, specifically anyone living in diaspora. Our, our Palestinian identity is really in our blood. It's taught to us from a young age. Many of us have family members who are living in Palestine um, to this day. I have um, a lot of family that still lives in, in Palestine. And so my personal relationship is one of trying to find a way to still resist occupation. Um, my relationship is one that is honoring the people who came before me, who have tried to share the stories of the Israeli occupation of Palestine. My relationship is one of honoring my own family who struggled, who have extreme trauma around the occupation, around Israel even claiming its statehood. My grandma, thankfully, she's still with us to this day. She was exiled before Israel became a state. So she has a very unique perspective, I think, that unfortunately not a lot of people can say they have of a Palestine pre-occupation, pre-Israeli occupation, pre-Israel. So my relationship is is quite deep. Um, it's very personal. It's It affects many people I love deeply in my life, including, you know, my day-to-day interactions with folks. Hmm. What do you think about the global response to what happened on Saturday? And what was your initial reaction to the attacks on Saturday? In all honesty, um, my reaction is one of disgust of the global response, as it often is. You know, we have so many incredible, incredible activists, Palestinian activists, non-Palestinian activists, our allies who have been for decades fighting um, for Palestinian liberation in many different avenues. But unfortunately, the dominant narratives that exist from, you know, many media outlets, from different governments, unfortunately, is always on the side of the oppressor. And it's, it's very hard as someone who has such deep ties to Palestine to consistently hear the dehumanization of your people, to constantly hear justification for killing innocent people, to the you know, justification of allowing people to not have access to your basic human needs like water, like food, like medical attention. Um, it's, it's hard. I, I feel a lot of rage around this topic, um, because a lot of us look to entities of authority, whether it's government, whether they're human rights organizations, whether they're, 
you know, even for some folks, they look at military responses. Um, the media has a huge responsibility to tell the factual story of what's happening. And so I think the rage comes from the Palestinian voice consistently being silenced and highlighting the voice of the oppressor, which I think is a pattern that happens, has happened not just to the Palestinian, the occupation over the Palestinians, but in many different communities that have been stripped of their land, indigenous communities, um, communities here in the U.S. who are consistently silenced and their oppressors are the ones that have the power and the voice and all of that. So yeah, I would say definitely, um, definitely disgusted by the the response, but also emboldened by the people who are risking their jobs, risking their lives, risking their friendships, risking a lot for, at the end of the day, Palestinian liberation, at the end of the day, equality for Palestinians, um, access to a life, you know, to, to resources, I should say access to resources and the ability to live a life as a Palestinian. So I'm, I'm in one way discussing in one way um, feeling supported. And for you personally, how have you and your community here been impacted by what's happened over the last week? There's, there are a lot of answers to this question. I, I'll, I'll try to keep it brief. Um, for me personally, I have been watching um, folks in my community who have family in Gaza sharing either their fear of not being able to contact their families, sharing how many loved ones they've lost. You know, and these are people that I'm talking about, people just locally to the Northwest. So grappling with all of the tragedy and having to, like, take all of these emotions of anxiety, of hurt, of rage, of all of the things and putting it in your back pocket and trying to say, what can I do? What can I do to help? Where where do I fit in in the resistance of the occupation? Um, so I think that the impact has been sobering in a way because this is, this has now reached a pretty major platform and the threats on Gaza, on the genocide that they're trying to, um, that they're trying to move forward with in Gaza is extremely scary and I, I have been trying to figure out a way where my impact, uh, where, where my words can make impact, essentially. Um, I don't really have much more that, that I can provide other than my words. So I've, that's, for me personally, I've been just trying to find a place where I can make a difference for, for my people. But even for my family, you know, one of the biggest ways that we've been active in the community or, or for Palestine is peaceful protests. And I've been doing peaceful protests since I, since I could like form a sentence. I've been going to, to protest with my father, not just for Palestinians um, or for, you know, Palestinian liberation, but for indigenous communities here, for the black community here, for, you know, teach-ins and on all of the different ways in which um, communities are, are oppressed. My father, who I, I look up to so much, has been a fierce advocate of human rights on a much larger scale than just for our community. And so I've been really active in, in that um, for decades now. And uh, over the last weekend, I was in a protest in Kirkland, and the protest hadn't even started yet. And we were bombarded by pro-Israeli protesters. And 
you know, because it hadn't started yet, there weren't very many of us there. Um, and we were attacked. And a lot of them were children. A lot of them were families. You know, we were still setting up for the, the peaceful protest that was planned. And my dad was attacked, unfortunately. Um, another another um, family friend of ours who was trying to help my dad while he was being attacked was pushed to the ground and he was attacked by multiple people. Um, I was had to run to my, my stepmom to stop someone who was actively attacking her as well. So when we're talking about, when we're talking about the impact, the impact is not only physical or emotional or it, it's all of the things as well as having to deal with the aftermath of it and the way that the media spins things. So rather than, although we all have video evidence of us being attacked that night and the next day we were watching local media outlets talk about clashes between protesters, um, the situation that happened in Kirkland. You know, all of this language that wasn't directly calling out that it was an attack. It was a direct attack. They assaulted us. It was, there are so many words that can be used and words are powerful. So when you're consistently using words that invalidate the struggles that the Palestinians go through, it, it creates a problem with the narratives that are circulated. And it was really symbolic for me to be a part of that and see how it is a very small scale representation of what happens globally with what's happening in Palestine. It's exactly what happens there. It's shown as, you know, the situation in Palestine, the attacks against the Israelis, that it's consistently spun in a way where Palestinians are dehumanized and we are the we are the aggressors or you know yeah I have a lot more to say but sorry let me let me stop there well that actually does bring me to the last question which is what do you think is important to correct in the public narrative when we talk about Palestine and Israel and what's happening between them is there anything that you think the public should understand or misunderstands absolutely I think the biggest thing is context context is so key you know for me I'm not going to sit here and defend or condemn or talk about Saturday's attacks or any of that kind of stuff because for me it's so much deeper than what happened on Saturday we're talking about a people who have been under siege who have physical barriers to movement they cannot leave the Gaza Strip you're talking about the most densely populated region one of the most densely populated regions in the world consistently not having access to clean water consistently not having access to food consistently not having access to health care and having to rebuild time and time and time again after brutal attacks by their occupiers and I think something that we all need to have a really honest conversation about is the fact that Unfortunately, violence is is stemmed from oftentimes oppression. And so before we start talking about what happened on Saturday, I think the more important conversation is what led to Saturday, what led to Saturday's attacks. And I, you know, I, I don't ever want to see anyone lose their life. That's not something that Palestinians should have to say. But I think that Palestinians in the thousands have been dying for decades. We've been dealing with the trauma of our grandparents and our parents for decades. We, we've, we have been 
coming to the table peacefully and wanting to have these conversations while we're watching our family members not only be killed, but also face oppression in the most volatile ways. And yet we still come to the table oftentimes very peacefully and open to dialogue. And, you know, unfortunately, there are times where people are, are pushed to acts of violence. And I just think what we need to focus on more than the acts of violence is how preventable those acts of violence were. And that's the conversation I think that we need to have so that we can prevent it happening again in the future. Thanks for listening to Crosscut Reports. This episode was reported by Mai Huang and me, Maliha Sayed. It was produced by me and Sarah Bernard. The story editor and executive producer was Sarah Menzies. You can subscribe to Crosscut Reports wherever you listen. And whatever platform you're listening on, please review us. We'd love to know what you think of the show. Also, if you would like to support the work we do at Crosscut, whether it's our lineup of podcasts, the video docuseries we stream every week, or the in-depth reporting we deliver every day, go to crosscut.com membership. In addition to supporting our journalism, members receive complete access to the on-demand programming of Seattle's PBS station, KCTS 9. For the latest political, environmental, and culture news from the Pacific Northwest, visit crosscut.com. Crosscut Reports is a product of Cascade Public Media. I'm Maliha Sayed. We'll be back soon with another episode.